I love to work and I love work, but life is way bigger than work. And so I want it all to kind of mesh together in this beautiful symmetry. Scott Danner is the CEO of Freedom Street Partners, a practice that supports financial advisors in their next career step and helps them explore all available paths to secure a fulfilling future. After 15 years practicing on an employee platform, Scott founded Freedom Street and took it from zero to two billion in assets under management in just five years. Scott is the co-founder of the Chesapeake, Virginia Wine Festival and enjoys traveling the country with his wife to watch their two sons play soccer. All right, we're here today with my friend, Scott Danner. Scott, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Brett, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, good. So um, I'm excited to have you here and kind of dive into your story. As you know, we start at the beginning and and want to hear kind of the full journey. So tell me a little bit about you know who you were as a kid, some of your early memories, your your family dynamics, anything that really jumps out from that very early stage of life. Sure. I I start my book out with an analogy to Simba. You know, in the Lion King, when when you're when you're born and you're and, and Simba's kind of held up over the the edge of the mountaintop. And I think that's how I felt being born into an Italian Catholic family. I always say if you want to be reincarnated, you want to be the firstborn grandson in an Italian Catholic family with five aunts and an uncle. My Sicilian grandmother was an amazing influence and my grandfather's strong faith and and strength and family was was also important and so I was I was real part of something bigger from birth and I think that's always an important thing to to mention my mom was married and 19 had me within 12 months 11 months from that so um pretty quickly and most of my aunts were still in the house like they all lived in a very small home with three bedrooms and just an amazing family. And I think growing up, I grew up in a, in a um, smaller home than that, but we, we had enough. We had sometimes just enough, but my parents made sacrifices in their, in their careers and their lives to, to better my sister and I. So I had, I had two parts of life too, because I have a younger brother who's almost 14 years younger than me. And so my sister and I kind of call it part one and part two, because when Derek came along, you know, we had this part one where our parents were really young and struggling and building a life, broken down cars and riding a bike to work and this big, huge family dynamic of the extended family. And my brother came for the next part of our lives where my parents were more stable and they had a little bit more security. And, you know, he's more of like an only child in some ways than than us. And so, you know, early memories, I remember just having amazing experiences at my grandmother's, having Italian Sunday dinner. I remember, you know, having a strong father who worked multiple jobs. Discipline was very, very important to him. And I have an entrepreneur brain. So I think I got a lot of extra discipline along the way because I like to be creative and think outside the box. And there was no answer that was good enough for me. Curiosity to me is something that I've come to love as I've gotten older, something that I really see as one of the fundamental differences in success for so many people I know, and even just being independent in thought. And it, it started from a really, really young age. My mom was a paralegal from the time she was 15. My dad was a storeroom manager. They just worked. And, and we grew up in a, in a pretty uh, decent environment. Financial aid allowed us to go to Catholic school. 
And so that's a really special part of, of childhood to me, growing up in an environment where everyone wore a uniform, but we were completely different humans. My best friend lived in a mansion and his mom had you know awesome cars and, and they, they sold real estate and had a, a mortgage business. And you know, I, I thought he was the silver spoon kid, you know, Ricky Schroeder. And, and he mm-hmm. always wanted to be at my house. I mean, literally wanted to be at my house, my thousand or less square foot home with a big backyard. And it's just the epitome of childhood and of how Mm. you kind of see the world so differently. Yeah. Let me hop in there, Scott. You know, that's really a good context. And I'm curious, you know, kind of in how much of this is kind of in hindsight, but in in the moment, you know, the experience of having that home that even though it wasn't the big mansion was still this place that even your friends who had a lot more wanted to be. And I'm just imagining kind of family and just kind of the love and the laughter and the fun and the texture, you know, of what it was like to, to grow up, you know, in that environment. And I'm curious, you know, like, what was that like for you really? Like, what what do you remember and and kind of who were you in all of that like do you remember what kind of kid you were at that stage you know in in that experience in life yeah you know i think in in uh in going back and and looking at life in in retrospect it's very easy to like put a put a belief of what you think you were going through and what you what you think it was like and and your perception today. I've always been pretty introspective. When I was just about three years old, I had a traumatic event that happened where we had a break-in and we had a young babysitter who was in the home. And the intruder kind of chased me with a butcher knife. I'm giving you the quick version. Back to my room, I tried to protect the babysitter. So I actually hit him with a small baseball bat and he chased me again and there was a there was a fight and I was a part of all of it. And I remember seriously some pretty important parts of that. And I, I tell you this only because it wasn't until I started looking back on all that stuff at how integral that was in my life and how many times I didn't feel super comfortable at home. I always had to be doing something. I always had to be out. You know, I, I didn't feel like you know, when you're when you're three years old and your world is blown up, there's a lot of trust issues that go with that, right? So I didn't understand. Everybody wanted to be at my house and I felt like my house was almost dangerous at times and uncomfortable. And I didn't have the security that other people felt. Um, but my mom and dad did an unbelievable job of really allowing me to develop that and to feel protected. And they did everything that they could in, in those in those times. But, you know, I I bring that up only because to look back, I really didn't understand why everybody wanted to be at our house, except that my mom cooked amazing. And, you know, we had freedom to do what we wanted to do. My parents were really allowing us to be kids. As long as we followed the rules and were good kids, we could go where we wanted to go and ride our bikes. And, And I think sometimes the more you have, the more you know, the less you allow your kids to maybe be as independent. And I had a, a very big blessing with, with the family atmosphere. So I, I, mm-hmm. I think that story is a good one to share with you. And, and it allows you to kind of get a glimpse of a kid who's probably super broken and confused and trying to figure out a lot of stuff that he really didn't understand at the time. Mm-hmm. And you said you were how old when that event happened? Right about three years old. 
Wow. I mean, just a, a baby. I mean, a, a toddler. I mean, that's um, crazy. And I mean, you know, to remember it and, and, you know, kind of look back on it and, and yeah, you know, we were just talking about this in my family about, you know, kind of how much of your brain um, and body, you know, kind of gets formed in those early years, the, the conditioning, you know, that can certainly be changed, but, you know, might kind of run unconsciously for, you know, could be your entire life if you're not, you know, really working on it. And so that is definitely a traumatic event and one for a child of that age, I would imagine it definitely, you know, is something that you embodied in one way or another. You know, you mentioned kind of needing to um, be out and, and active and doing stuff, you know, is that, is that kind of your recollection of the impact or what other kind of impact did that have on you in those early years? I think, you know, the impact was enormous and I only have, have, you know, in maybe the last five to 10 years really understood some of the lines and how they've been drawn. But a couple of things that I think that are really important. Number one, I remember a lot more of the moments, but I don't remember, like there were things that happened that I don't understand because I was nowhere near an, a level of understanding, but I knew that he was hurting her and I knew that he was using a knife and I knew that there was some crazy stuff that wasn't right. When the cops came, I actually gave a description of the person. And, and a moment I remember really, really vividly is having blankets around me and the babysitter not being able to speak and crying really horribly. But me and and the cops having this conversation where they were like, you know, you're going to help us find this person. You're a, you're a hero. You're somebody that's, that's going to help this person that's upset and everyone in the neighborhood. And, and I, I think, I think back to a lot of those things. My mom took me to a doctor, our family doctor, who basically said, listen, don't do therapy. Just talk about it every time he wants to talk about it. If he still has some level of brokenness, then obviously therapy is an option, but let's see what, what happens. And my mom was unbelievable. Every time I would bring it up, she would talk about it. But I think you internalize so much of that. And so when you talk about the impact, when I wrote my book, it was really interesting because they asked me a question that said, think about all the times you failed. And, you know, as, as a part of the, the preemptive writing phase, right? Think of a time that you failed. And I went back and was thinking of all these things. And I started to kind of think of struggles that I had growing up that I'd never really addressed. I didn't sleep very well. I was very, very, I need, it, when my parents would go to bed, that's almost when I, when I couldn't sleep. So I had to fall asleep beforehand for years. You know, I think my GI Joes for the first like five years of my life sat on my windowsill, hoping that they were going to protect me from anyone getting in that, that window. There was a lot of really interesting things that thinking back until I really started to dive back, I had just repressed and pushed down. And, you know, I, I had babysitters that would come to the house at nine, 10, 11 years old, maybe, maybe eight, nine, 10. Cause by 11, I was home alone all the time. And, uh, and I would convince them that someone was outside. Like I, every noise I heard, I was prepared. And so when you look, think about the impact, man, from the time I was three years old, I was looking for exit strategies. Every home I've ever lived in, I know every way to get in and out. I know how I'm going to protect my family. I know what happens if someone comes in. Like I have rehearsed things that people have never thought of. And I think 
the way we leveraged it in the book is really, I have this protect and connect mentality. You know, protection is something that I find very important. I look at myself as someone that can help others and protect them. And, and because you experience something so crazy, you almost, when you leverage it for good and you've come out of it in a, in a, in a way that, that has made you stronger, it really is helpful to other people because people have been through traumatic experiences and they've never shared. They've never shared the after effect. They've never talked about how nervous they were about things or how uncomfortable they felt in situations. So I'll pause yeah, there. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, no, it's great. Thank you for sharing. I This is you know a big part of why I love doing this podcast and why I am fascinated with the kind of full human journey it's, it's, you know, because you're describing yourself now today as a protector, as somebody who loves to kind of look out for people and plan and, and think ahead and be organized and think through strategies and scenarios. And, you know, it would make total sense that as a, as a toddler to embody the need to protect somebody in that moment, that that could become who you are in the world. And in your case, in a good way. Right, like these these traumatic events can keep us down or be incredible, you know, platforms to build off of, and 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 it can be both, you know, too. I mean, it can it can be all of that. But in your case, you've certainly figured out how to make that who you are in a in a very positive way and productive way, you know. And it's just cool. I mean, to hear that story. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, I, I when I wrote the book, I have so many family and friends and people that listened and to Audible or Reddit or different things, and they nobody knew that about me, and you know, they don't know that I had locks on my doors in college because I still I couldn't trust my roommates to lock the door at night, and I couldn't sleep if I didn't know that it was locked. Like, there's really simple things that still are a part of who you are that I think when you share it with the world the world gives you so much more back they're, they're, They trust you. There's a, there's a trust in trauma. And when you've experienced things, look, I also was blessed in, in so many ways because I experienced seeing trauma. I experienced, you know, a protection breakdown, but I didn't have what happened to the babysitter happened to me. You know, there was always another person involved that I was thinking about that my mom celebrated that, for years, she would tell me all the good things that were happening in this person's life. And, you know, it was, it was a part of our story. And I just, I'm, I'm so that, that gratitude, maybe that gratitude allows me to also not see a lot of the things that kids see in their lives. When, you know, when you grow up, you can find all the bad things your parents did. And, and I, I, I mean, at, at 21, 19, 20 years old, I was, you know, justifying discipline. And I was in college, you know, having conversations with friends of why I didn't mind if I were spanked when I was a kid. Like I always found the positive in just about anything because it made me who I was. And I was so proud of who I was that that, you know, that almost goes back to that family dynamic of feeling like Simba, you know, the confidence that was instilled in me at a young age helped me battle some of these things that I probably didn't even know I was battling, Brett, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And and then tell me a little bit more about your your dad and the dynamic of him being kind of a disciplinarian. You know, I was, I don't know, imagining that, you know, after something like that, you know, that 
maybe there's a lot of kind of the opposite, you know, where it's like, boy, this kid's been through a lot. Let's go easy on him. It sounds like, you know, your dad was like, no, you know, that's not, that's not the way we're going to, you know, do this. Tell me more about that. Well, I think there's, there's two things. Number one, I think my dad waited up all night. Hopefully he could it, hope in hopes that he could catch that person. You broke down a barrier of his house. And my father, you know, comes from a, a rougher upbringing, in a very small, small room. I can't even say a home. Like he had nothing. They had nothing growing up. So my dad was living an American dream to own a home and to have one car and all these things. So I think breaking down that barrier of protection was, was kind of a, a really, it was a blow to my dad in, in protecting his family, which was a very, very fundamental thing. I, I really respect so many things about my dad. I tell a story in the book about you know the way that I think and the way my dad thinks, and it'll kind of talk a little bit about discipline to your question. But I remember you know, walking home from the babysitter, another babysitter's house that my parents, we went to during the summers and it was like a hundred degrees outside. My dad is, is riding his bike to and from work with his lunch pail and his uniform and he's sweating profusely. Like everything is just bled through with sweat and the vividness, I still see this. And I'm walking with my sister and I'm kind of kicking rocks. And I, I, just, I just look at my dad with this, this mindset like what there's got to be a better way dad like we we got to find a better way but my dad was such a worker and such a soldier and such a, a driver that he just did whatever needed to be done because that's how he grew up and how he was living was so much better and in my brain I was trying to solve it like I was I was like we gotta we, we could find there's got to be a car like I'm just asking him questions like what what can we do and to this day he still laughs at me sometimes because it's it's uh, I've heard you talk about this, the never enough mentality. Like my dad to my father, who had everything he ever dreamed of at a very, a very, very young age, because his dreams were a lot smaller. They gave me a lot more capability to, to think bigger. And I never stopped. So I think the discipline often came when I was, it just wasn't enough for me. And so, you know, my dad was strong. He also worked a couple of jobs. And I think you're tired when you're working that, that, that blue collar life and you're, you're dealing with everybody else telling you what to do every day. And my dad's just an amazing worker. He was loyal. Like his father didn't have jobs. You know, he, I think my grandfather told me he, he was a drinker and he had a hundred plus jobs in the course of his life, he told me. And over, over, you know, his last couple of years, and to my father, just showing up to work every day was one of the steps that he was going to take to be a good man and a good husband and to be loyal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these are things you get out of, out of your family. He, he was a strong leader. I had five aunts always around. I want you to understand this. Every time my dad would discipline me, I had five of my mom's sisters that were literally telling him he was wrong, that were like strong, <laughs> independent, beautiful women yeah. that, I mean, they babied the hell out of me. And so, you know, I, yeah, well, that's I, good. I'm lucky, man. I'm lucky. It's, it's good yeah. discipline in that way. You know what I'm saying? I get you. Yeah. No, no, no. I get it. I mean, it's, you know, we can, we can maybe talk about this a little later, you know, just the parenting aspect, you know, it's 
one, it's tough. I mean, you know, you talk about being tired, you talk about the jobs, you talk about, you know, wanting to teach your kids certain lessons, you know, make sure that they're getting what they need. It's complex, you know, and, and, and you've never done it before, you know, so, and you got a lot of other shit going on too. So it can be hard. It can be hard. And, you know, you do the best you can, I, I think. And, and it sounds like, you know, if you have the right intentions, that, that can go a long way. Tell me, we'll, we'll come back to that, but tell me a little bit about kind of how you started to advance, you know, as you start to get into, you know, early adulthood or high school, college, like who are you and, and how does that start to kind of shape your life? So I'm, I'm, I've always been a good talker so much so that I, I found a letter during COVID that my mom had written me that said, words matter. Words are very important and you are very special with your words, but when you use them the wrong way, they really hurt people. And I need you to understand that that has to change in you because I know you're struggling. I know you're changing. I know it's a new time. So we moved from that neighborhood and moved to a, a really nice suburb, you know, and, and, and I went to a brand new school after being the king of the Catholic school. I went to uh, freshman year in a brand new high school in a new district where I was nobody. And um, I played soccer. I didn't make the varsity team. They only had a varsity team. I didn't make it until my junior year. So my sophomore, and it was the best thing I had ever done. Like I was better at that than anything else and had never, ever lost at any part of that and, and just was, was continuously working to make it. And uh, so I had like two, the tales of two high schools. What I, what I say is like the first part of my high school experience was me trying to figure it out and make friends. The second part was like immediately upon making the varsity team and and starting games that I had new friends, new opportunities. I I found, you know, a, a really fun place, friends that I still have today that are some of my best friends in the world. I went to uh I wasn't going to go to college. My mom actually filled out all my applications for me, but two applications. I said I wanted to go to Radford or Tech, Virginia Tech at the time in Virginia, and I I but I didn't want I didn't think we could afford it. I had a really good grasp on money as a young kid, I watched my mom write checks with notes that said, Hey, cash this Monday, you know, things that I knew, you know, my mom was young and I was young and we, I always joke with her. We grew up together. And so mm-hmm. I was a lot of times one of, I feel like one of her advocates, somebody that, that she relied on and leaned on. And so I thought I was helping them by not wanting to go. And she refused, filled out applications told me how I didn't need to go in the military, that she could figure out a way. I got, I got a scholarship to go to, to one school. I got into both schools I applied to. And they were, I literally was thinking this small. I was going to be a teacher or a cop. That was the world that I was living in. I thought being a teacher got me a pension and being a cop got me that feeling that I had thought my whole life, like the FBI was my dream. Because those men that had been a part of my life, they had protected, they had helped, they had saved. Like that was fundamental for me. And majored in criminal justice. Why did I love it? Because I wanted to understand the mind of the criminal. I wanted to understand how to help people. Went to work for the attorney general's office right out of college in crime prevention as assistant director. Got to have an awesome job with, with the AG of the state of Virginia. I was in an appointed position which I lost a couple years later when a new AG came in and there was a new administration and my guy didn't win the governor's office. So I had one of my great aunts, you know, like not great aunt, but a wonderful aunt of mine, Paulette say, you would be a great financial advisor, Scott. It's just in your DNA. I think you should apply with 
this company that I'm working with. And I, I was like, no, I won't, I don't know how to do that. And I'm afraid. What if, you know, what if it's not for me? And, and she goes, well, what if you just learn how to manage your own money better? And I thought that's the best thing anyone's ever said to me. I could absolutely learn to do that. And I need to learn to do that. So I applied literally two weeks later, I was hired a couple months later, I'm knocking on doors and cold calling and building a business from zero. And, you know, that kind of led me to where I am today. That's the quick version of, of uh, the yeah, update. Yeah. Well, well, let me back up a little bit because I'm fascinated with kind of the criminal justice and kind of the mind of the criminal and going into that. I mean, seems like that would be a pretty obvious connection to that early traumatic event. At the time, were you connecting those dots or, oh, you yeah. know, how are you thinking about, you know, kind of wanting to dedicate your career to that work? Yeah, look, man, I, I didn't touch a drug all through high school. I studied what the FBI was looking for. I was, I, every time an FBI person I met, I asked them about the hiring process. You know, I, I, w- this was at like 14. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I, I, my sister's best friend was um, somebody that I was uh, really interested in. And we are married today. But at the time when I was in college, being in the FBI, man, I was going to move to wherever the heck they wanted me to move. And I was going to be theirs. And I just didn't see that for my path. I chose the a different path for me. And so studying something, loving something I found very early could be a hobby. It could be something that I still was engaged in. I was on, I was on a crime prevention task force. I was like all through my financial advisory career, I have had a connection to either mentorship like the Boys and Girls Club or or criminal justice organizations because it's my passion. It's something I I, it's a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. So I knew that that talk was Talk to me that, a little bit. Of, go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, I got it. Yeah, thank you. And, and t- talk to me a little bit about kind of, you know, in the financial advisory world, you know, you are looking out for other people in a big way, right? Now, I mean, some people might see it differently, but the way I look at it is like, I'm really trusting this group, this individual to really look out for me, you know, that that they are going to be honest, have high integrity, really be paying attention and, and doing the best they can. I mean, it seems like, again, like this isn't really a total shock that you're in a, a profession where you are a protector. You are really responsible for being strategic and thinking things through and and really looking out for other people. Maybe not in the same way as a you know, FBI agent, but it's still very much an important thing for people to, you know, manage their money. Yeah. At the AG's office, I was in a lot of crime prevention areas and was aware of identity theft. And I was dealing with a lot of people that were being taken advantage of. And in the career that I chose, there's a lot of people that are taken advantage of. There are a lot of people that that are looked at in the world that maybe they don't look at the profession all the time as the as the best and and it's one of those things where people are less trusting because it's their money. People get divorced for, you know, two main reasons, sex and money and, you know, money is a big big problem in families. And so, honestly, I think I found the connection between being authentic and just sharing of myself with everybody that I ever connected with. My story is your story and and I want to understand your story and we connect on a different level. I built relationships, which is something I was always really really open to and connected to. 
And that'll made the money so easy. Like the other parts were easy. When you understand the human behind the goal or the dream or the financial well-being, like it was so much easier and and, uh, better to help them. And so the protecting side was absolutely fundamental, Brett. It was 100% how I thought. And and I I always want to be different in whatever space I'm in. Like I felt like I could make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how that's evolved for you. I mean, I know your business has changed. You're, you know, doing a lot more than just, you know, financial advising. And I know you've been starting to get into the, the tech space and, and, you know, tell me just kind of the, the kind of current, you know, view of, of what, what your business is like and, and maybe talk a little bit about kind of where you see things headed. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I spent 15 years at a, at a large financial firm and I'm very grateful for the upbringing. I had all these great experiences and leadership and mentorship and things that really fundamentally gave me an unbelievable foundation. But I'm an entrepreneur and my brain has too many ideas in it a day to sit on one thing and function on someone else's time. Like I just, I can't do it. I have to create new relationships, new opportunities. And if something is better and I know it, I can't stay in a place where I know that I could make it better. And so in 2016, I started Freedom Street Partners with a couple of partners and we kind of developed something that we wanted to believe was bigger than ourselves. And, and we really wanted it to be life first, life wealth optimization, but life first. And, and that meant there were different facets of that. That meant getting out into the world and, and actually speaking to people and doing YouTube and videos and different things that I hadn't been able to do in the past. It meant that creating joint ventures and collaboration with people that are doing different unique things in the space that could help our clients live a, a full a full life, not just a financially strong life. And and I I think I also had spent a lot of time mentoring when I was when I was at the previous firm. I, I started a wine festival in in almost thirteen years ago. And honestly, I loved doing the wine festival sometimes more than I loved doing my job because I was making a change in the community. Something I know I, I, I know you really value and something that you do every day in your career. But the impact I was making, the money we were giving away to charities, like I just felt like I could, my platform was rising and I should be doing more if I had this capability. And so all of that came together. And that's really where I'm at today. We've We've built a business where we have we're in seven states and we specialize in helping financial advisors whose average age is 62 years old with a succession plan, with coaching and consulting on the next step, the next chapter, making continuity plans for their clients and buying their practices. And so that's kind of one facet of what we're doing. And so I get to mentor the advisors in the next chapter. I get to teach the newer ones and the younger ones the way that I feel it should be done from the beginning. And I get to really embed myself in the communities that I serve and and make a difference in ways that really makes it feel meaningful. So I'm not just, I I, I wanna work, but but I, I love to work and I love work, but life is way bigger than work. And and so I want it all to kind of mesh together in this beautiful symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's you know, a big passion of mine is is how life and work, you know, can be integrated into one and how you can really take all the things that you're personally passionate about and include them in your work, you know, and it sounds like you've done that, you know, really beautifully. But let's kind of go back a little bit. I am curious about kind of your family, 
today and the kind of dynamics, you know, it, it, uh, you being a husband and father and having, you know, had the role models that you've had and the experiences you've had. Talk a little bit about kind of life for you today. Yeah. I feel so blessed. I I married my sister's best friend who is, uh, you know, marrying the, the right person at a young age is, is quite a, quite a great decision on so many different levels. I married a partner who we raise our kids together and, and somebody that, that, you know, partnership is never perfect, but it's, it's definitely the greatest thing I've ever experienced. And it's made me stronger. You know, my, I, I always tell the story. I think I broke up with her like 27 times on the phone because I didn't like the result of the conversation. And I was dramatic and she would laugh at me, hang up, call me the next day and be like, are you over yourself yet? Like I needed someone to allow me to heal. Like I needed someone to allow me to be, to be imperfect. And, and so the very imperfect version of myself has uh, become a much more polished version. And my wife was there to help me build that. And so my life is, I feel very blessed. I have two boys that are you know, going to be 13 and 16. They, they play a ton of soccer. My only experience in Columbus is having gone up to Columbus for five to seven weeks when my son uh, played with them in, in their U-12 academy for a, a big Adidas tournament. And I love the city, loved probably the stuff that I saw that you have done in the city that was just super cool in that short North area and all the, the you know, the, the Ohio State kind of uh, vibe. Loved it. Loved the whole experience. My boys are really a lot of my life. I do a ton of stuff for them. I have an entrepreneur mindset, which sometimes is my wife is such a grounder. She's my grounding. Like we could, we could sit by the pool every weekend and in a, in a summer day and, and have, have the, the, you know, a Saturday dinner and have a couple friends over and never, ever leave that setting. And I can't do that. Like I, I have to be moving still and so we we ground each other. You know, I stretch her comfort zone to go and travel and do different things. And she helps me to pull back and relax when I need to. And from an upbringing side, which I know your question is probably asking, you know, I'm as imperfect as my parents are. My passion and my drive can sometimes also be a passion and drive that's intense. And, and, and I work really hard at being calm and relaxed and, and helping to cope with you know, the pace of life that I run at is fast and it's like driving on the interstate. You know, when, when you, when you have to slam on your brakes going 80 miles an hour, it's a big difference than slamming on your brakes going 30. And so I spend a lot of time today doing things to help me not start going 80 from like the beginning of the day and end going 80. Like I build up slow. I meditate. I go in my infrared sauna. I pray. I have a very slow start to my day. I build up. I kind of have a you know a crescendo, a peak, and I work my way down as the day goes on, and that allows me to be a better father, a better husband, and and more present in my in my life. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that that's probably one of the things that I work on every single day. And my kids will be on someone's show, you know, twenty years from now, saying you know that that dad was pretty imperfect and dad was great, but. He also had these things that maybe I, I wish uh, he would have been better at, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's great, you know, to highlight. Uh, there's a lot there that I am, you know, kind of curious about or happy to hear, you know, the 
the you know we are imperfect as parents as as human beings and i i think that there's often you know not enough acceptance for that imperfection and that you know that generally speaking i i don't know maybe i shouldn't even say generally speaking i know and my belief is that people are doing the best they can even if they're doing a lousy job like i just don't believe that they really want to be doing a lousy job it's just all they've got you know and and i think there's certainly as you get older and for me as a parent you know there's a much greater appreciation of all of that you know that i'm imperfect my parents were imperfect you know you know i'm not i'm i'm an imperfect husband i'm an imperfect leader you know and i am doing my best i promise you and i keep trying to get better and you know what what i love hearing cuz i i was kind of intrigued with this like go hard go fast you know work work, you know, work, 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 right? You know, perform success, you know, more, right? There's, there's, there's some drive there, but you have learned, which I think this is really huge, how to take care of yourself too. Beginning end of day, right? Uh, meditation practice, infrared sauna. I mean, these are things that I, I, I also love in my life and having morning routine, having evening routine, having various outlets, like, you know, Dan Sullivan says, like, you can't, you can't drive the car if you haven't charged it first, right? So that morning, you know, I, I think is really important to emphasize because people will hear, especially young people, they will hear hustle, grind, work hard. And you might have to do that at certain points in your life more than others, but you cannot do it for the long run if you don't have some real self-care practice throughout your day. Yeah, you break. I mean, I think I think I ran from a place of fear in the beginning of my of my life and career. You know, I just I wanted to I wanted to have more, provide more, protect my family, my extended family, provide more for mom and dad, my my kids, my you know my sister as a single mom with two kids. Like there's there was a drive from a place of fear, and I think what happens is you can't. I'm, I'm a sprinter. And so I've always been a sprinter. I was a striker at, at you know on a, on a soccer field, and and I like to sprint and rest, sprint and rest. When you actually can look at yourself and say, "Wait a second, there, maybe there's some rhythm to that." That's what you're really great at, Scott. You can you can sprint, but you have to make time to repair and and rebuild and relax, and then you can sprint again. Because I'm always going to be sprinting in some capacity. I just, I, I'm, I'm just going to create more breaks in between. And, and that allows me to really focus on a, a better version of myself. I mean, that's, but I, I'd have, I would say I've learned and I'm learning. So, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near how great I'm, I'm going to feel 10 years from now when I feel like I've really honed in on that mentality. And, and, you know, these are all parts of it, but I, I do love that, that point, man. I, I, what a great way. COVID was a great, horrible thing, but a great thing for me because it slammed on my brakes and there was nothing I could do and except relax. I started reading scripture every morning. I mean, I, I was like, hey, there's nothing. I, don't, I can't rush to the gym. I, I started becoming very self-motivated. Not, and I was always self-motivated, but even more so. But I was slow. I read the Wall Street Journal almost cover to cover every morning. I'd read articles every day, but I'd never read the whole thing. Like all these things just changed and I liked it. And I like it more yeah. than the pace before. Mm. 
Yeah, you know, I agree. I think a lot of a lot of us are in that boat. You know, if you're healthy and you're financially um, stable, you know, and you're used to really running at a fast pace and being on the run all the time, traveling. You know, for me, uh, it was just like you described, an incredible opportunity for me to to shift. And and I am curious about this. You know, this kind of part of you that's been with you from an early age that is about you know, really performing at a high level and, 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 and now, you know, as an adult working hard, creating the life that you've created for yourself, doing all the things that you do. I'm wondering, you know, kind of with that, you know, COVID slam on the brakes and with the kind of change of pace by taking care of yourself morning and evening and like really kind of starting to shift a little, how you feel about like, the long run, the the big picture, like, do you see yourself continuing to maybe even taper off with the amount of like work work that you're doing? Do you see yourself sustaining that forever? You know, there's this kind of debate, you know, a little bit even within side strategic coach where, you know, Dan will say the retirement is the grim reaper. You know, I, I don't know if I totally buy into that, but I do subscribe to the idea of like, loving your life and your work and that being fuel to carry you late, late into life. Tell me a little bit about like how you see this starting to continue to shift for you or, you know, maintain, you know, kind of where are you headed with it? A couple of big things come into my mind. Number one, I don't ever see myself not doing something like, I mean, I just, I would not be happy in, in my day if I didn't have purpose to it. And to me, purpose is serving others, period. So if I'm helping others, my give a shit factor is so high on everything that it's, you know, it can be a problem. But when I get engaged and involved, I really feel purpose behind that. We're hosting a team dinner for my son's high school soccer team. And, you know, I'm, I'm making homemade spaghetti, uh, meatballs and, and I want to have like a whole experience. And my wife wanted to get Texas toast. I'm like, you can't serve Texas toast with my pot, with my sauce. And she's like, you take everything to the highest level, Scott. And it's true. I mean, it's, it's just true, but I I can't, I can't take, I don't think I'm going to repress that part of me, but I will tell you this. I believe in loving the journey a lot more today. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's sort of like when you talk to a high school kid and they're having a relationship problem and, and you see it so clearly, like you just, you look back and the blueprints all there you know what the problem is. You know how to fix the problem. It's all written and it's, it's from experience, but you can't, you can't put that person back in your space. They have to experience it on their own and you can hopefully share it with them and they might apply some of those things. I look at life like that. Like I look back and I'm not, I'm not upset that I d- didn't know everything that I know now but I do know enough now to enjoy the darn ride a little bit more and stop focusing yeah. on this future version of, of me and start uh, focusing more on the, the, the current version of me and the presence and the day. And, you know, today I'll leave at three o'clock. I'll go take my son to a soccer training, a private coaching training that, that I've said yes to because he wants to do it, that my wife thinks is too much. And, but you know why I, one of the reasons I do it is it forces me to break in a day that I normally wouldn't break. Like I, he becomes the priority. We have a great conversation. We have time alone. It's so much bigger to me, but I love those moments. And that's the ride. 
Yeah. 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 It's great. It's a good ride. And I love the kind of, you know, being present and not, you know, kind of focusing on that future self. Scott, this has been great. I love hearing your stories. Tell me just, you know, kind of wrap up, you know, I don't know, final thoughts or anything that's kind of coming up for you or that you want the audience to to hear. We'll make sure they know how to get a hold of your book and, and get in touch with you. But yeah, just any final thoughts that you have. You know, I, I think as we get older, final thought is you are where you're supposed to be. Right where you are right now is where you're supposed to be. And the more you look back on where you've come from, the more you can connect the dots that it's the right path. Everything kind of lines up for the right way. And, and that, that kind of ties in the trauma, it ties in the early childhood, it ties in our conversation in a way to me that, that has always been something fundamental in me. And anybody can find me at scottdanner.com. And, and I do, I'm starting a YouTube channel. It's brand new. And, you know, I, I put out a lot of conversations and thoughts about things just like this, because I believe the world needs a little bit more positivity. They need a little bit more belief, a little bit. People need to hear good things, positive news, positive, you know, juice for the world, energy. And, and so I really love doing that. And that those are the types of things, but Googling my name will get you everything you want to see. And you can buy the book on Amazon. It's super simple. Awesome. Scott, thanks so much. It's great to be with you and to hear your story. And I know our audience will love it. And yeah, you know, keep up the great work. It's good. Thanks for having me, man. I'm super, super happy to have been here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 